I'll just feel something. WKTY 96.7 FM 580 AM. Welcome back to WKTY Outdoors. I'm Kevin Millard. Thank you for joining me on the program this morning. It is coming up on 823. Joining me on the phone right now is Tackle Terry Tuma. And uh, we always have a great time chatting with him. And Good morning, Terry. Thank you very much for joining me on the program this morning. Appreciate you being on. Thank you for joining me today. Well, thank you, Kevin. I really appreciate that. And good morning to you and to all of our listeners. Hey, a beautiful day taking place. Beautiful day, yeah. It's, uh, let's, uh, let's get out there and enjoy it while we, uh, while we can here. Oh, yes, uh, you know, we, we know we're going to have some changes coming up one of these days where we have uh, uh, a snow and so Kevin, I'm going to put, I put one, the Vex's boat away already, and I'm going to sneak out fishing with the small boat. Uh, mm-hmm. Hopefully the docks are still in on some of the lakes. And then I'm going to store the boat again, too, because uh, I've been caught a few times in pulling the boat too, and I'm not doing that anymore, Kevin. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, it... it uh... It, it sneaks up on you sometimes, and yeah, we've uh, we've already had a few snow flurries uh, a little too early from for my taste this year already. So it, who knows uh, <laughs> when the snow is really going to start to fly uh, uh, in our our area here this year. So oh, yes, that's right. And I think what was it a couple of years ago or so we had uh, that heavy snowfall, mm-hmm. and then it uh, it melted in a couple of weeks, and it turned out to be very nice weather. But we just don't know. And the biggest issue that I usually have when, you know, putting through snow, but along with that, too, if there's salt on the highways uh, and you're getting salt up onto, onto that trailer and so forth, yeah. it's almost impossible to get every granule of salt out of there. Then you got some big issues down the road. Yeah, yeah. It just makes a, a mess on the trailer and uh, gets up on the boat. And, yeah, it's just, yeah, it's a kind of a hassle there. And, yep. I, I totally understand. Well, you know, we've, we've got some uh, a number of things to talk about, as always, here. So, <coughs> excuse me, uh, let's uh, kind of uh, get into it here while we've, uh, while we've got the opportunity here to, uh, you know, uh, folks uh, have the opportunity to get out uh, yet still. And one of the things I uh, wanted to talk about today, too, is, is certainly, uh, you know, there are a number of, of, of great lakes you know, obviously Minnesota, the land of 10,000 lakes, and there's certainly plenty of uh, great lakes uh, uh, for fishing here in Wisconsin as well. And, you, you know, there's always, it, it seems like there's just a never-ending amount of, of pressure and increased pressure year after year after year. And, uh, you know, I, I guess, Terry, you know, let's talk a little bit about how do you deal with that pressure and what do you do to change your approach in order to deal with that pressure? How do you approach that, uh, you know, in order to make, you know, that presentation different? You know, what do you do to change your game, if you will, to, to you know, to, to have success on the water? Well, you're exactly right, Kevin. Yeah, the success is, uh, fishing success is definitely a big factor. Uh, and I think what's really happening with the pressure, as you mentioned, is that we so often, first of all, you know, part of the uh, issue is I see so many times, I call it chasing the bite. 
media and maybe a bait shop and so forth to just word of mouth. All of a sudden, the bite is going on on this lake if it's walleye, sunfish, crappies, or whatever, and or bass, and then all of a sudden you've got a mirage of just unbelievable amount of boats. And so, therefore, then I call that chasing the bite. But also, too, is what we can do is don't get caught up in that. You know, find your own lake, a lake that doesn't have all that fishing pressure. And then uh, the big factor here, too, is that, you know, generally speaking, uh, fishing pressure starts, you know, maybe 8, 8.30 in the morning till maybe 3, 4 o'clock in the afternoon. So going out prior to or after uh the two three o'clock time frame is going to definitely help with us but so often too we have i call it community holes where people are fishing in certain spots and they'll jump from one spot to the next spot to the next spot and what we really need to do is find our own spots or if nothing else just wait till these boats leave some of these spots and then go fish them but here too again it's really the best to avoid these community holes, Kevin. Uh, just, you know, pick out a location where people aren't fishing. And then the other two is if you're out there and you've got this amount of fishing pressure, is do something different. You know, many, many times it can be uh, maybe everybody's live bait rigging or everybody's um, using uh jigs and plastics or whatever it is, do something totally different. And generally speaking, uh, what we have to really uh, relate to is try, you know, when we're talking about something different, Kevin, mm-hmm. is maybe go to maybe a crankbait, for instance, or whatever it is, and then, uh, or go to maybe, if you're fishing for bass, maybe a wax or, or a, a Texas rig, something a little bit different that people aren't using, and that also uh, relates to color. You know, if everybody's using a a shad color crankbait, maybe you want to do something different. Maybe you want to change the speed of that crankbait, uh, the direction of that crankbait. There's a lot that we can do to just be a little bit different, a little bit more unique. And, you know, fishing pressure is here. Uh, there's no question about it. We have to adjust accordingly. And fish, I really feel, due to noise and also uh, the pressure itself of casting or trolling or whatever, these fish are being conditioned and being affected by it. Mm-hmm. And, and, and really, and, and, and you, you bring up kind of an interesting uh, point uh, is in terms of, of you know, the, the fish and, and being conditioned, you know, they get so used to seeing a certain thing. You know, I guess in your experience, you know, when you present something different, you know, how often do they, you know, they see something, you know, they say, for example, you know, they get, they see crankbait after crankbait after crankbait, and then you say throw something like, um, you know, a swim jig, just for example, you know, just for something different. You know, what are the, the, you know, odds are that they would, they, you know, would hit something like that instead of that crankbait? You know, just as that, that just that difference, or you know, how much of how much of a factor would that make? Obviously, there's some other factors in there too, but you know, just those different presentations. It makes a big difference, Kevin. It's just amazing how much of a difference, you know. And yeah, uh, it makes when just switching. I do a lot of wacky work fishing, Kevin, mm-hmm. and uh, you know. So therefore, then uh, is you know, if they aren't hitting crankbaits, then I'll usually switch over. But before I do that, I just done some more experimenting. In fact, this was on the river, and uh, I was casting crankbaits for both for walleyes and for bass in some of the riprap areas. 
and I've caught a, f- a few bass. Um, you're not really to my expectations, so I switched from a regular crankbait to a crankbait that has a real harsh vibration. It was amazing how much of a difference it made in catching fish. Just literally, I could not believe it was that much of a factor. So therefore then, it was a more of a reaction strike than actually a feeding strike. And you can always tell how these fish are hitting crankbaits. If the crankbait's in the mouth of the fish, that means they're feeding. If that crankbait is just, uh, the hooks are on the outside of that, fish's mouth area, then that means that the fish is just sort of a reaction bite. They're just taking a swipe at it. So many times when you've got a tougher bite going, uh, especially with crankbait, they're going to just swipe it. You can feel it, Kevin, mm-hmm. that you can feel that fish hitting that crankbait but not getting hooked up. And so, therefore, then that's a time frame that you have to understand. You've got a reaction bite. You're in for a little bit of tougher fishing, but we have to adjust accordingly. Okay. All right. Interesting. Interesting. So, you know, it just, it, it, it pays to, you know, have those, you know, obviously, and, and we've talked about this before, is, is having that game plan ahead of time that you know what you want to bring with you. And if you're, obviously, if you're targeting walleyes, that you have, you know, walleye baits with you, but, you know, also have uh, perhaps a, a few different types of lures with you so that if you do, you know, if, if everybody's using, say, crankbaits and you want to change things up and you, you know, need to change things up to because the bites may be a little bit tougher, you know, have a few of those different type lures to present uh, along with you as well. Just in, 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 the, in the tackle box, it's uh, an interesting idea. I appreciate that. Yeah, well, and I think the other thing, too, Kevin, is that so often, you know, we and you see this um, so many bodies of water, we go to maybe the community hole, or maybe it's our own favorite hole on a body of water, and we don't catch any fish, and then we pack up and we leave. Oh, and then I think at that time, we're just, uh, our attitude, our, um, you know, patience is just sort of being exp- it's expired, so we give up. And if you know fish are there, if you're marking your fish, stay at it. Keep working it. Uh, you know, sure, uh, you know, if you've got a lot of people in that area, well, you have to. You, you know, then it's a totally different uh, game out there. But if we know an area where there's fish and we're just trying out with one certain bait and we don't catch any fish, maybe we caught a lot of fish there yesterday or the day before with that certain bait, but you feel and you're marking fish, Try something different. Keep on experimenting till you hit a home run. Otherwise, uh, we're just leaving fish, and we shouldn't be leaving fish if they're there. Mm-hmm. Exactly, exactly. Um, one other thing, too, that uh, um, uh, that that wanted to touch on it as well was, uh, and, and and we've we've kind of talked about it a, a, a little bit here too, is just it, with the the uh, the crankbaits for for walleyes and and. Uh, things along those lines. Let's talk a little bit uh, about that. You had some thoughts on that that you wanted to share this morning as well. Some more thoughts. No. Well, yes, uh, you're right, Kevin. Yeah, there's there's a lot to be said about crankbaits for walleyes and for bass. Uh, this is a prime time right now uh, to use crankbaits, uh, especially for walleyes. And here, too, what we have to understand, too, is that um, we need to use the correct crankbaits uh, to get those in the strike zone. Normally what I'll do is, uh, first of all, I'll cast them. Uh, generally speaking, I'll start shallower. Mm-hmm. And then as the morning uh, and or fishing pressure increases, then I'll 
go to say I'm starting out with number four shad wrap, and and then I'll, I'll and then I monitor up where these fish are biting if you were hitting the crank, and then it's a maybe just a speck deeper of picking up these fish. So then I'll go to a number five, then a number seven, just keeping that crankbait exactly where those fish are at. It's so important for us uh, to do that. And then uh, two is the other thing with crankbaits. You know, so many times people uh, cast and retrieve, cast and retrieve. Uh, don't uh, just cast and retrieve a you know, pair uh, perpendicular to the uh, area that we're fishing, the weed edge or riprap or a point or whatever it is or an inside turn. Uh, vary your speeds of that, crank, uh, that retrieve, maybe a stop or maybe a rip. Uh, you know, anything uh, or just crawl it along just so you get a vibration out of it. You can tell I use a spinning rod for the small crankbaits, Kevin, Mm -hmm. and you can tell just uh, when we're talking slow retrieve, it has to vibrate, and you can tell that by watching your rod tip. You can also feel it if you're using the correct rod and also the correct line, and that's also another factor that we have to uh, relate to. The other thing I should mention, always when I'm using a crankbait, even plastics for bass or whatever it is, I watch the retrieve when it comes up close to the boat i watch to see if a fish is possibly following it if it is following it then i'll either slow down or speed up the retrieve yep just uh put a little put a little bit just different move on it that uh that maybe just is enough to entice that fish to to uh close the deal if you will just something uh, uh a little extra move to to seal the deal if you will yeah, that's exactly right. You know, it's always the little things that make a big difference in being successful. Mm-hmm. Yep, exactly. And and I, I guess too is uh, you know, uh, I, I guess I'm looking at it too. Is is you you mentioned starting shallow and working deep? I guess I was thinking maybe sort of the opposite of that. That maybe the fish would be moving shallower during the the latter part of the day as the water maybe warms up. The shallower water warms up a little bit, and maybe the like the bait fish and whatnot would be moving a little more shallower during the day. But uh, I, I guess I'm wrong about that. Well, not necessarily, Kevin. You know, I don't know if there's a, a actual set rule, if you will. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I I, I generally speak uh, speaking will start shallower, uh, depending on the situation, though. Uh, you know, if uh, just say you're fishing bass in the summertime, and uh, for instance, say if you're fishing a weed edge, mm-hmm. uh, you know, uh, which is going to be part of the cover where bass need to, then at that time I'll start at the weed edge and then possibly work in. I think so often this is sort of a direct opposite of what I've been talking about, but then, uh, especially if you're out there early in the morning, and then uh, I'll go shallower, uh, because if you run over this wheat cover, if you will, for bass, and with your big outboard, and then all of a sudden the light goes off, say, I wonder if these fish are shallower uh, than deeper. So you run over this uh, this deeper area, and you spook those fish uh, by fishing shallow, and they were never shallow. So there's a lot to be said about specific location. It also depends on the calendar period and also the species we're fishing, water temperatures. These are all factors in where sure. are these fish. Exactly, exactly. Okay, interesting, interesting. Okay, I, yeah, it just I suppose it just depends on, on, on what situation you're presented with on 
whatever given day you happen to be out on on the water. So, sir, okay, I understand how that. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and I think the other thing too that's a big factor is that always remember that fish are chasing their food sources. Mm-hmm. You know, you and I said many times, no food, no fish. Yep, exactly. Yeah, it's going to be totally, uh, completely dependent on on where those uh, where that food source is is and. Yeah, if they're shallower, you're going to be fishing shallower. If they're deep, yeah, it's it's all going to be dependent upon uh, upon that. So I completely uh, yeah. completely understand, uh, Terry. I tell you what, I'm going to take a a quick break here, and then uh, we will uh, continue our conversation. There's still a few things that, uh, of course, we need to uh, we'll be talking about here. So I'm going to take a short break and come back in just a few moments with more of WKTY Outdoors here on WKTY 96.7 FM, 5:80 AM. Back in just a few moments. Network wants you to start your day off right by speaking up against bullying. People can be bullied for all kinds of things. Who they are, where they're from, what they look like, or what they believe. That's called identity-based bullying. If you see a student being bullied, be supportive. Ask if they're okay and invite them to join you. You can be an ally and make a friend. Friendship. Visit StopBullyingSpeakUp.com and redraw your world without bullying. Considering a career in media, Midwest Family and the Wisconsin Broadcasters Association Foundation can help, offering four scholarships, two $2,500 to $1,500 awards, helping students enrolled in broadcasting or related educational programs. Students who have completed at least half of their degree or graduation requirements can apply. So go to WBAFoundation.org or contact Midwest Family. Submit your application online on the WBA Foundation website by 4 p.m. Friday, November 4th. Paid for by friends of Ryan Hipsch. Well, the new reports are out that tell us where our politicians raise and spend their campaign money. Okay, so what did you find out? Our state representative, Steve Doyle, has over half a million dollars in his campaign war chest. Wow, that seems like a lot. It's more than anyone has ever had in this race. He must be a great fundraiser. Well, not so much. What do you mean? Steve Doyle got almost all of his campaign money from the Democratic Party in Madison. Isn't Doyle the guy who tries to tell us he's Mr. Bipartisan? But he got most of his money from Madison Democrats? Right! Well, where did the Democrats get all that money? That's where it starts to stink. You have to dig a little. But you find out the Madison Democrats got a bunch of their money from liberals in California and millions of dollars from the governor of Illinois. What? Why would the governor of Illinois want to do that? Good question. So what is Steve Doyle doing with all that money? He's running ads telling us he's Mr. Bipartisan. What a joke, huh? Yeah. Except I'm not laughing. Welcome back to WKTY Outdoors. I'm Kevin Millard. Thanks for joining me on the program this morning here, along with my guest, Tackle Terry Tuma. And uh, we're talking all sorts of things fishing here this morning. And next thing that uh, we'll be talking about here is, uh, and and we've kind of touched on it a little bit already this morning, uh, a a bit, 
but uh, we're going to kind of expand upon it now and uh, talk a little bit about uh, the uh, impact that uh, that vibrations have on on fishing and uh, and catch rate and success and uh, let's uh, let's kind of get into it a little bit, uh, Terry, and and, and talk about uh, the importance of of vibration on those uh, uh, on lures and and, uh, and 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 getting those fish to bite. It's a big factor. I think it's something that we have to relate to and have to adjust uh, with. You know, for instance, uh, you know, say you're using a spinner race for walleye, make sure that that blade is spinning in the water. What I normally do to get the correct speed is I'll just run alongside the boat before I drop it down. You've got to make sure that that blade is vibrating. And generally speaking, it's going to be two, three, four, and five number Colorado blades. And uh, under most conditions, the number two, number threes, preferably number threes, they're going to be the uh, most productive, but not always. If you're fishing for uh, uh, and needing, you know, to really step up in blade size for for instance, you got uh, looking for some more of an aggressive fish is one factor. The other is if you got fishing in dark water, then you want to step up, but you need to get that vibration, which becomes you know a little bit of a noise factor, plus also a vision factor. And the same thing with crankbaits. Work with your vibration of crankbaits. The other thing too is if you're trolling, like for instance, if you're long lining or if you're uh, lead coring, what I'll do is uh, I'll grab the uh, line, for instance, uh, if you're using lead core, I'll just grab the line ahead of the uh, spool and then, or the reel itself, and then uh, pull the line forward, if you are, I should say, backward, uh, about two feet to change the speed of that crankbait. It's a big, big factor. Uh, always remember changing the speed and direction will definitely entice fish. The other thing, too, if you're fishing crankbaits or fishing spinnerbaits or whatever, if you can uh, you know, bounce it off some rocks or some weeds, uh, again, changing that direction, it's just amazing how that triggers these fish. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, and, and you, you made a, a mention it earlier as well, is just, it, it just changing the speed of, of your retrieve as well. That would, I would think, change the, the vibration and, and just change some of that uh, noise as well. Oh, you're right. And the other thing I know you and I touched, uh, touched on this some time ago, but always cast parallel to, to those areas, not that perpendicular. And the reason being is making a long cast and then parallel to, say, if you're fishing a weed edge or fishing uh, a point, a riprap, doesn't make any difference. But now you've got that crankbait, that plastics or spinnerbaits, whatever it is, longer in the strike zone. It's a big, big factor. So now then what you're doing is uh, you're allowing time to get that uh, specific lure into that area. And then with that, too, always cast beyond where these fish are at, not right exactly where you think the fish are. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah, they can hear it coming and, uh, you know, and, and kind of get ready and, and hear it and see it and hit it. And if they miss it, they've yeah, got to, you know, it's it's there longer for them to, to react to it. So, exactly. Yeah, well, that's right. And the other thing, too, I was out fishing um, bass, and there was a couple anglers out there, and they were using some enormously large spinner baits, mm-hmm. and it was a tougher bite. And I could just hear that splash into the water. Well, when, when that fish uh, hears that, and they do hear it, uh, it's going to spook the fish. You're not going to catch it. Mm-hmm. Exactly, exactly. And, 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 you know, it, is the, are there... 
different kinds of vibrations as well? I mean, do they give off, I mean, you know, am I wrong there or is that, am I thinking differently there? No, those different kind of vibrations. Uh, I don't think there's any question about that. It's going to be depending on the design of the crankbait. The lip design are using square bill, are using a round bill. Uh, some uh, crankbaits, I've been just doing some experiment with a new crankbait, um, uh, uh, providing some extreme vibration. Uh, so there again, too, uh, vibration is a big ingredient. You know, uh, and I think if you've got a tougher bite, uh, you generally want to start with a smaller size crankbait, but then just if that isn't uh, successful, then step up to something that's got more vibration. It's going to really be dependent on the design of the crankbait. Uh, there is, you know, the new Money Badger is uh, extreme vibration. You got the Tail Dancer, uh, also that's got much more vibration. There's a lot to be said about specific vibration. One crankbait. Style-wise, is not going to catch fish every day, all day long. Mm-hmm. Exactly, exactly. And you know, uh, it, it's uh, it's it's an interesting interesting topic too, because it, it, it's you know obviously one of the factors in in the equation is is well, and um, you know it ties in with uh, um, so many other other factors as you know with. Um, you know the color and the the style of lure and and whatnot, and um, I, I think it kind of gets a little bit overlooked at times as well. You know, you, oh, it does. Yes, very, very much so. You know, and here too. You know, when we're talking, we talked about pressured fish and so forth. Well, yes, you know, trying to match the hatch. You know, maybe mm-hmm. you got a a lake or river that's got a lot of a gizzard shad going with a shad color. But also, too, if you got a tougher bite going, don't get hung up on matching the hatch. I think it's it's there's so much emphasis on this. That's all we do, and we've got to understand that trying something a little bit more unique, something more uh, different, is going to be very successful. But along with that, too, these fish have to see that bait and that lure. Mm-hmm. Exactly, precisely, and and this is one way of them keying in on. Uh, on that as well. Now, and and I was gonna one follow up question on on this as well. Uh, with with the vibrations, is how far away can fish sense this and 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 feel the vibrations on this? You know, you know. It it really depends on um, the fishing pressure mm-hmm. and the mood of the fish. Uh, you know if. But, you know, if you've got a tough bite going, um, they're not going to react to it. Uh, how far can they feel it? I don't know if there's really any uh, studies. Uh, so many times it can be, depending on these, these moods of these fish, mm-hmm. it can be very, very minimal distance. Because here again, too, uh, you know, it, there's so many factors. Right. Here. One is you know, uh, the, uh, the water clarity and and. And so there, there's so many ingredients, exactly how far. I don't know how many tests have actually been done by fish biologists. I really read a lot, as much as I possibly can, about uh, the reaction distance of these fish, but it varies a ton. Uh, and here again, too, is, you know, 
we have to, and that's why I was mentioning going to a number four, number five, and number seven is, you know, working with these different vibration factors, but also, too, the depth of these fish. Mm -hmm. So here again, too, you know, that's why bouncing it off some rocks or uh, putting some of these, these are all changes that are going to trigger these fish. But they can hear and they can see a lot farther than what we think. Okay. Okay. Now, it, all right, and I guess kind of one of the, the, the final things I, I wanted to, to talk with you a little bit about here, too, today um, is uh, talking about uh, edge uh, and how do we define an edge? Uh, we, we've we've kind of we've, we've talked a lot about it today in, in sort of a roundabout way, if you will. But we, we really haven't, in, in over the course of our conversations here, we really haven't defined what it is. So let's let's talk a little bit about that. How do you define that? Well, an edge is uh, something that's different uh, in the uh, bottom construction of, uh, of a body of water. But also, too, you know, if you want to catch quantity and quantity to a fish, we have to tie that into cover and also structure itself. So we know about a weed edge. I think that's pretty, you know, uh, common weed edge, inside edge or outside edge. But an edge can be um, um, hard bottom, meaning a soft bottom. It can be riprap where it stops. It can be water clarity is another edge, you know, where you have clear water versus uh, darker water. I call it a wind line. Uh, where say it's, it's, you've got a wave action out there, but you go around this point and there's no wind at all, or very minimal wind. So that line is a wind. Then you've got a mud line, uh, darker water versus uh, clearer water. On the algae, uh, where that stops and where that starts, it's another edge. Um, um, there, uh, there are so many, you know, and we're talking about. Uh, edges in the wintertime, believe it or not, where the snow is swept clear on the ice and that uh, just a solid clear ice, that's an edge. So there's a lot of edges that we we too often think of weed edges and maybe a, a hard bottom being a salt bottom, but maybe there's a spot in some weeds of gravel or sand. That becomes an edge. That's where these fish are going to relate to if you want quality and quantity of fish. Okay. All right, so it can it just it's any kind of would you call it uh, uh, also say a transition as well? Yes, no question about it. It's something mm -hmm. different than the surrounding area. Um, uh, the, these are what edges are. Um, you know, it just um, but we don't want to just concentrate only on looking for an edge. Sometimes it can be very small. Mm -hmm. uh, of, of an edge. It can be just, I think on the river system, you know, and I keep, we fished the river system for so many years, is that, and you know, fishing in, say, riprap areas and so forth, if you watch the bank, Kevin, uh, uh, you can see where there's a little bit of a protrusion. Mm -hmm. It's very minor, but all of a sudden there's a little protrusion, and that where it goes from a a little bit shallower than the surrounding areas, a, a sort of a mini point, if you want to call it. Mm -hmm. And those are uh, can be dynamite areas. You know, same thing with when you have springs coming into the main channel uh, where you got the clear water versus the dark water. That becomes an edge. So there's a lot of factors here in, in fish location, and it's something that 
we need to really want A2. But, you know, if these fish are moving uh, along an edge, if you will, uh, they're generally going to be feeding, but not necessarily all the time. But here again, it's something else that we could add to our game plan, where should I, I fish? But it is an ingredient, and like I said, I think so often an easy example is a weed edge. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And, 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 and just to be clear as well, you're not saying, I mean, all of these these edges are, I mean, obviously they're not going to be holding fish all the time, but there's certainly places that you're going to want to look at in terms of the potential for holding fish, just so we're clear. Oh, yes, exactly right. You know, it's only a potential. You know, and a good example would be, say, you're fishing sunfish in wintertime and you're fishing uh, a muddy bottom. Uh, that's really not an edge. That's more of a flat. Same thing with uh, fishing walleye. <laughs> a buddy buddy flat uh that's not an edge but the reason they're there is because there's food there mm-hmm. so you have to combine you know there has to be food around that area otherwise you're just not gonna uh have any fish there food is, uh really becomes a locational factor for these fish mm-hmm. exactly okay all right i'm just trying to to, to figure out. obviously it's just it it's just another factor in that equation that you have to put together every time that you go out when uh when you're trying to figure out where uh, where the fish are biting and and uh, where the fish are located, and you know, trying to uh, in order to have success on the water, it's just one more uh, one more element in the uh, in the equation that you have to put together. In other words, yes, it is. Uh, it just you know, it, and there is not any uh, shall we say, you can't just go out and fish you know on a body of water. Sometimes you'll see people just throwing in the center of the lake. And you're wondering, you know, are they on fish or are they just out there because they really don't know where to go? And I think here again, too, is use your uh, electronics to find these fish, to find these edges, to find structure, and then fish these areas. And I say so often, if you don't mark fish, don't fish it. Mm-hmm. And, and, and this, would, this would include, say, you know, uh, and, and when you, you, you say edges as well, this would include, say, changes in depth and and you know obviously you know in a lake structure um there may not be say like defined edges as we would see say on a, a river structure here you know where there's wing dams and and side channels and and things like that you know there may be changes in depth and things like that on a lake structure would you define those as edges as well generally speaking on a lake Kevin um not so much with Depth, well, uh, I suppose if we look at it uh, from that uh, perspective, you know, where maybe you got a flat and all of a sudden you got a um, drop off or a break line, uh, yes, that can be an edge where it exactly uh, drops. You know, like I fish uh, a lot of bass on uh, many bodies of water, and I'm, I call it ledges. Uh, and if you look at the bank, um, in a bank, and you know, banks. Uh, if you look at the shoreline, uh, you can really tell uh, a lot about the body of water. And so, I'll see a real sharp um, bank, if you will, uh, shoreline where you know maybe there's a home or whatever up on top of uh, a hill, so to speak. But you've got this real sharp break, uh, uh, break into the water where it's, uh, all of a sudden. Uh, it becomes really deep. You know, maybe you got a uh, eight foot wide flat, and that I call a ledge. And then you can crawl your plastics or crankbait down that deeper water, 
so you've got sort of a combination of an edge, uh, also a piece of structure. Here again, two of these fish migrate up into that flat, that edge, uh, to feed, and that can be dynamite for bass fishing. Okay, well, Terry, I've got to, we've got to wrap things up here for today, and uh, I want to thank you again for uh, for the conversation here. It, it always uh, always an educational opportunity. So so thank you so much for uh, for joining me on the program today. Thank you for everything. Well, thank you so much. You have a great day, Kevin. Tolerance, and hey, we got to let's go fishing. All right, sounds good, and uh, that's going to do it for the program today. We are uh, out of time, so thank you again very much for listening today. You enjoy the weekend, get out there and enjoy it, and uh, we will do it again next Saturday with another edition of WKTY Outdoors. So until then, be safe, be well, and we'll see you again next Saturday.